Genesis 43, Joseph is working on his brethren and his desire is to reveal himself to them and his ultimate desire is to reconcile them unto him. I want to remind you that when you read about Joseph dealing with his brethren, there are a couple times it looks as though Joseph is being hard with them. And if you're not careful, you may look at it and say, when he calls them spies, when he puts them in the prison, you might look at it and say, yeah, the tables are turned now and Joseph's going to get what we used to say, he's going to get his pound of flesh, he's going to get even, but that's not what's going on. Everything that Joseph does, he does with this purpose in mind, that his brothers might be reconciled unto him. Can I say this to you today? The things that God does, he does with this in mind, that sinners might be reconciled unto him. He wants us to be saved, and he wants us to know him. And what we're going to read about is a part of that. Joseph's brethren are in his presence And the Bible says in verse 31, I think I'll read a few verses here. Chapter 43 and verse 31. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves. And for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him, but Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him." I'm going to preach a moment or two. I'll pray, and then I want to preach a moment or two on the dinner designed for discovery. Father, I pray you'll help me now as I preach. Help me physically, but help me mostly, Lord, spiritually. Help me to glorify you. And Lord, if there's someone listening today over the internet or on the radio or here in the auditorium that does not know you, that has never been reconciled unto you, Lord, help us to lift you up high and to glorify you. And I pray they'd be drawn unto you. And Lord, uh, folks might repent and believe the gospel and be saved. Lord, the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life is when I got introduced to you, when I was born again, when I became one of yours, when I was reconciled to you, saved from my sin. And I pray, Lord, somebody else will know that joy and know that experience today. I pray somebody be listening and turn to you turn to God from their idols and be saved. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for the price that you paid on Calvary that we might be saved. I pray you'll help us now in the preaching of the Word of God, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm looking here at this meal that is taking place. These boys are going to eat a meal with Joseph. They do not know it's Joseph. They they are not aware of who he is. All they know of him, they will title him this way, the Lord of that country which spake roughly unto us. That's all they know about Joseph. That's all they know of him. Did you know when we were lost, that's what we thought about God. He was the Lord of that country that spake roughly to us. Everything we heard about him and thought about him because we were sinners and we were so opposed to him 
him. Everything we heard about him was rough to us, and it was not music to our ears. It was not sweetness. And so that's what these boys are thinking about Joseph. But Joseph has invited them in. He has just seen Benjamin for the first time. I'm taking it somewhat for granted that you're familiar with the story, but he's just seen Benjamin for the first time, and it is it is it has caused him to weep. He's had to leave their presence and go somewhere and weep. And now he's washed his face and he's come out before these boys and he says to to his servants, set on bread. He's going to have a meal with them. Now I'm thinking about having a meal. You and I are independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists. If there's one thing we're experts at, it's eating. We know something about food, don't we? And uh, I'm thinking about meals and what they're like and what they're for, what what meals are designed for. And I thought about this. I, I think about it. Uh, we were talking. I was talking to somebody about fishing. I like to fish when I can. I get to go two or three times a year. And one of the things that we'll do is we'll go up where I used to pastor and we'll get on the big Manistique Lake and we'll uh, fish for walleye. A fellow take us out there. I think it's, I, I, if I remember right, it's 1100 acre, something like that, that lake. It's only about 22 foot deep at the deepest point. And we'll go out there and fish. He knows where the fish are. uh, And he'll take us out there. We'll find the fish. We'll try and catch enough fish to come home and have a fish fry. And we'll have, we'll fry that, deep fry that walleye because bake is a terrible thing to do to a fish. And uh, we'll deep fry that walleye. And mama will make uh, her famous hash brown casserole. And we'll have coleslaw. And she'll make her famous hush puppies. And we'll eat that and then when we get done we'll have hot fudge uh, brownies with vanilla ice cream and hot fudge poured over the top amen you talk about good and so we're trying to catch enough walleye to have a fish fry for us and then a fish fry for my pastor and then uh, we used to do one for a little widow lady in the church she's gone on to be with the Lord so we've done one for a widowed preacher that's down the road we have one for him and then we'll have one on Thanksgiving that'll be our Thanksgiving meal we'll have a fish fry and I thought about eating those fish and about those meals and I thought about I thought about this sometimes when you have a dinner it's just about one thing and that's eating it's not about anything else when we have that fish fry when we have we get home from the upper peninsula of Michigan we'll we'll deep fry that fish I got one thing in mind I want to eat I don't want to talk I don't want to fellowship I don't want to get involved with a whole bunch of stuff. I just want to eat fish sometimes that's all a meal is about But then when we have our fish fry at Thanksgiving and the grandkids come, now that's a different story. That fish fry is not about eating, just eating. It's about entertaining. We want to entertain those those young ones. And we'll eat, and that'll be part of it, but that's not all it's about. But then sometimes the fellow that takes us fishing, he doesn't do it anymore, but he was a professional guide, and he would have people pay him to go out, and they would fish. And, and he would say this to me. He'd say, now, brother, he calls me preacher, but he'd say, preacher, he said, I, I, I can take them where the fish are, but I can't make the fish get on their hook. They have to do that themselves. And he said, sometimes I'll take them out there, and I'll be catching fish right and left, and they'll never catch a fish because I just can't get them to figure out how to do it. So here's what he does. He takes them back to the house and feeds them fish that he has caught. And the reason he does that is he wants them to come back. See, this time the the dinner or the eating is about, it is about encouragement. 
He wants them to come back and try it again. So he lets them eat some of that good fish, and that'll give them the bug, and they'll come back the next time. But here we have a meal, a dinner. It's not about eating. It's not about entertaining. It's not even about encouragement. It's about enlightenment. Here's what Joseph wants to happen in this meal. He wants these boys to think about him. He wants their mind fixed upon him. He wants some questions to come up in their heart and their mind about who he is. He wants them to think about him. The Bible talked about the wicked, the proud, the wicked, that God is not in all their thoughts. But I'll tell you what God wants you to do. He wants you to think about him. He wants you, he wants to be on your heart and on your mind. And you say, well, preacher, you know, along the way, good things have happened to me. Can I remind you that the Bible said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 2. He said, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God's been good to me all my life and he had this purpose in mind that I might think about him that I might be drawn unto him that I might ultimately know him and believe on him and have fellowship with him and that's what Joseph's interested in here now I want you to think of three things with me in these verses now I'll say a word to you and we'll be done everything that takes place in this meal is with this design that these boys might know who Joseph is that he might be revealed unto them. He's preparing them. I want you to notice three things. I want you to notice, first of all, the separating in this meal. The separating. The Bible said, and he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. Now watch verse 32. And they set on him or on for him by himself and for them by themselves. And for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So the first thing we see is a separation in this meal. They're not all sitting together. When we have a meal, when the grandkids come, we'll all sit in the same place. We'll get around the same table. But that's not what's happening here. In this meal, we have three separate areas where people are eating. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, the priority in this separation. The Bible said they set on him, on for him by himself. You know who got served first? the most important one at the meal. And so they served Joseph first, and the Bible said he's by himself. And then they served for the brethren and for the Egyptians, and they did that in separate places. So Joseph is here, perhaps, and the boys are over here, and the Egyptians are over there. Now I want you to think about, what would this bring up in the minds of these boys? Here's the question. One fellow put it this way. The question would come up in their mind, who can this man be? What is it about him that sets him apart from everybody else? He's not like us, and he's not exactly like them. You know what he is? He's in a class all by himself. 
there's something different about him. There's something unusual about him. Though he can eat with all of us, he really doesn't fit with any of us. I want to tell you something about Jesus. And remember that through your Bible, Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something about him. Though he is man, he is also God. And when you set him apart, when you look at him, there's never been anybody else like him. He is in a class all by himself. God had never been manifest in the flesh, not until Jesus came. There's never been another man like Jesus. I remember one time the disciples said, never a man spake like this man. They said, we've heard a lot of folks speak. We've come after a lot of folk. We never have anybody talk like this man talks. I remember one time the disciples were in the ship and there was the wind and the waves and he got up and rebuked the wind and rebuked the waves. The wind stopped its blowing and the waves laid down and they looked at him and said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? I want to tell you something about Jesus, friend. He is in a class all by himself. There's never been a man like him, virgin born and lived without sin all of those years. Here's what he said of himself. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. Here's what his father said about him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here's what Pilate said about him. I find no fault in him. Oh, there's never been anybody like him. I remember Dr. Wallace Little preaching at the Pine Bluff Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. He's preaching about Jesus. He'd used every adjective that he had in his vocabulary. He'd just run out of things to say and finally he threw his hands up in the air and said, ain't nobody like him. He's the onlyest one that ever was. And that's true about Jesus. He's in a class by himself. There'd never been anybody in this world like him. And you know, when I read Revelation chapter 4 and 5, I say to myself, there won't be anybody in heaven like him. You know where he'll be? He'll be in the midst as a lamb. The Bible said when John said, when I saw him, he stood in the midst as a lamb slain. I remember Brother Rudy preaching about that one time. There's something wrong with that verse. Something wrong with it. So what's wrong with it? You got a slain lamb standing. That don't make no sense to me. Unless he used to be slain and now he's alive again. There's a resurrection there. So I'm just saying to you, there is nobody like him. He is the priority, the placement about themselves. He puts him by himself because he is preeminent. He is by himself. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he paid the penalty for my sin. How? By himself. Nobody else paid that penalty. No one else could. I couldn't pay it for myself. He did it. The Lord Jesus did it. So the question is, who can this man be? Never been anybody like him. Here's the second question. The second thing in these verses. Look in verse 33. And they sat before him. The firstborn according to his birthright. And the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. So when he had them seated. He had them seated the eldest to the youngest. Here's the second question that would come perhaps in their mind. Not only who can he be, but how does he know? How do he know that? They've never told him who the eldest was or who the youngest was or what their birth order was. He's the Lord of that country. He doesn't know anything. Supposedly doesn't know anything about them, but he has them seated. Eldest to the, apparently, 
He knows all about them before they tell him anything about themselves. Apparently, he knows the importance of the birthright in the, amongst the Jews. Apparently, he knows who was born first and who was born last. He knows the practices involved, and he knows what will pique their interest and make them think about him. And so I can see them saying, how did he know? Judah, how did he know you were supposed to be there? Reuben, how did he know you were? Wait a minute. How did he know Benjamin was young? I'm going to tell you, I'm glad he knows all about me. And he knows all about you. He knew all about me before I ever told him anything. He knew every need I've ever had before I even mentioned it to him. He knows the beginning from the ending. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing ever surprises him. Nothing ever amazes him because he knows me. He knows your heart and he knows my heart. Who can this man be and how does he know? And here's the last thing, because my throat is not going to last much longer this afternoon. Here's the last thing. Why does he care? Look in verse 34. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. Watch this now. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Now... I believe there's several things going on here, but here's the thing I'm interested in. I want you to know, notice, first of all, what the Bible says about this. He took, now watch it, watch the language. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. Now think about that. So this is not what happened. Joseph did not say to the cook, Fix up what you think those boys would enjoy. Fix up what you think would meet their need. Joseph didn't do that. Joseph said, bring me what you got. And I'm going to look it over, and I'm going to send them what would be best for them. He sent messes unto them from before him. Can I tell you, that's the way it is with Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, just let them have whatever. He said, let me see it. Let me handle it. Let me look it over. Let me make sure it's exactly what they need. It'll meet the need of their life. And he said, I'm not, going to, I'm not sending it to them till it goes through me. I'm glad to know that what comes into my life goes through the hand of the Lord of that country. You say, preacher, I don't think it was what was best for me. That's because you don't know yourself like he knows yourself. He knows you better than you know you. And so he's going to send whatever will be good whatever will be beneficial, what will bring glory to him and be good for you. His personal care for them. And then his particular care for Benjamin. He gives Benjamin five times more than he gives the rest of them. Now, here's what interests me, and it has always interested me in the life of Joseph, that those boys despised Joseph. They hated him. They envied him. But if you read your Bible, they loved Benjamin. Just read what they call him. The little one. The lad. They're always protecting him. In a little while, Judah, in the next chapter, Judah will offer his life in exchange for Benjamin. 
So notice that Joseph shows particular affection for the one for whom they have particular affection. Could I put it this way? He seems to care about what they care about. Can I tell you something about my Savior? He cares about what I care about. I think they put it in the song one time and it went something like this. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Someone will say, well, preacher, you know, I got this and I got that and I don't want to bother God with it. No, 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 no. If it's important to you, it will not be a bother to him. I don't want to embarrass him. But I was sitting in the back there a moment, a little while ago, and I just, I almost forgot myself and shouted because I saw Brother Fanning and he had Miss Christie's grandson. Miss Christie's grandson had these little cars and he was playing with them on the floor. And I saw Brother Fanning come by and get down on the floor and grab some of those cars. And the two of them were running around on the floor together in the back of the auditorium. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Brother Fanning plays with little cars when he's at home by himself? I doubt it. But he saw that little boy. And right then, them cars meant more to that little boy than anything else in the world. And so the man of God got down on the floor with that little boy and played with them little cars. I wonder sometimes some of the things that I think are important, what they, what they might ought to or what they should seem like to God and look like maybe he'd look over at me and say, now I don't know why you're so wrapped up in that. I don't know why you're so worried about that. I don't know so, but that's not what God does. He's like that preacher man. He, uh, he gets down on the floor where I am and grabs uh, what I've got and said, let's, let's do this together because if it's important to you, it means something to me. You say, does God care about such things? If you do, he does. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Then notice this last thing. Why does he care? Not only his personal care for them and his particular care for Benjamin, but can I put it this way? His pricey care for them. Pricey. Would you go back to our first verse? If I can get my eyes where I can see, I'll read it. Verse 31, now watch this. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. You know what bread was? It's the most expensive thing in Egypt. We're in the middle of a famine. Egypt's the only place that has bread. And you know what people are doing to get bread? They've sold their homes. They've sold their livestock. They've sold themselves. 
to get what Joseph has given away. He has taken the most expensive thing there is, the thing that everybody wants, said, here, I want you to have it. Can I tell you, that's what God did. He took the most expensive thing in heaven, the most glorious thing in heaven, and said, here, Brian McBride, I'm going to set on bread for you. You know what Jesus said? I am that bread that cometh down from heaven. I'm going to tell you, he must love me. God must love me that he would take the very best that he has and set it on my table and set it for me that I might know him. I think he must care about me. And I think he must care about you because he spent the best that he had to get you, just to get you thinking about him and turning in his direction. I want to say to you, God wants you to know him. He's after you. He desires you. He cares about you. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. No, but I know what these boys did, and Joseph loved them anyway. I know how they hated him and sold him into slavery and planned to kill him. I know all about that, and yet he loved them anyway. And I would say to you, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or what you're like or who you are. He loves you anyway and sent his son to die on the cross for you because he wants you to be reconciled unto him. Joseph will spend, he will spend whatever he must to win his brothers. And God spent what Paul called an unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift.